Then welcome everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome. I'm Pastor David, Restored to Life Church. Now you're probably like, "Wow, um, you're sitting down." Yeah, uh, I promise I'm not trying to pull a full Robertson. Though I highly respect the guy. You know, another another one of great beardedness who is a wonderful man of God. But no, I can't really stand up right now because I'm still recovering from back surgery. So you're like, "Why are you sitting down?" Yeah, I can't recover. I'm still recovering from back surgery, and I tried uh, standing last week and it didn't work out well for me and i was in a lot of pain so anyway here i am sitting down uh which feels really weird but anyway here i am so real quickly before i get in there won't be anything next sunday nothing is going to happen next sunday why because i'm not going to be here me and my wife are not here going to be here next sunday we will be in hopefully sunny south africa and hopefully it won't be too hot but that's where we're going to be at so keep us in your prayers as we have to travel there um spend some wonderful time with some family and friends over there and return with our oldest son so wonderful wonderful praise god that it is finally happening here um yeah um also i am recording episodes that will air of restoring your voice at 4 p.m central so doing it for your benefit okay with that out of the way so today i'm preaching on god um as the just judge we're going to be out of psalms chapter 7 and this needs to be said i don't think it's said enough i think uh across the landscape of america specifically the american church the message of who god is has been watered down right we we have turned and cheapened who god is we we have formed a god in our likeness what we like, we keep. What we dislike, we discard. But that's not who God is. All right, God is just. Yes? God's primary attribute is not love. God is love, yes, because the Bible says so. No disagreement there. But, but specifically mentioning that as an attribute of God is only mentioned several times in the Bible versus God is holy many, many times over. Many times over. Remember that we must never forget that God is holy. That in the throne room, day and night, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. They don't cry out anything else. Holy, holy, holy. It's not just recorded, by the way, in the in uh, Revelation. right? It's also recorded in the book of Ezekiel. God is holy. And because God is holy, he must be just. Holy, His holiness, his very nature demands just judgment. Just judgment of every single soul upon the earth, right? We will be weighed in the scales and measured. We know that 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 we, our lives, are are, are bat being balanced and measured. We know that. How do we know that from the book of Daniel, right? Remember that the writing on the wall. I'm telling you, America. The writing is on the wall, right? Just like in the book of Daniel, many, Tekel Tenny, I think, I might have gotten that mixed up. But in other words, you have been weighed and measured and have been found wanting. And I believe this is what God is saying to the American church right now. You are wanting. You are found wanting. You are lacking. You're lacking in zeal for me, I believe the Lord is saying to us. And what do I mean by that? Because 
a Christian's life, the, the external fruits and works are measured primarily by obedience. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, plural. That's what Jesus said. So if we love God, then it is directly measured. The litmus test is the level of our obedience. I didn't say perfection. We're all going to mess up obeying God day to day. But we don't accept it. We don't accept it. So let's let's come and uh, read the word of God from Psalms chapter 7. Psalms chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 11. God is a righteous judge. And God has indignation every day. If one does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows as arrows flaming shafts. The wicked man, right? What was identified as the wicked man? Those who refuse to repent. Rise in pain of iniquity. He has conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He who digs a hole and hollows it will then fall into his own pit. His mischief will return on his own head. His violence will descend on the crown of his own head. Let's come before the Lord. Lord, we humble ourselves today. Lord, teach us all. Lord, we so need revival. And revival is never going to happen without repentance. Your Lord, your revival is never ushered in without the repentance of men. Personal repentance is where it starts. And then it extends to the families and then to the church. May it be so, Lord. May it be so now, Lord. Do whatever it takes, we pray. Do whatever it takes to humble us, bring us to repentance. Whatever it may be, according to your will, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's 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 break this verse, this um, these verses down. It says here in verse eleven that God is a righteous judge and God has indignation every day. Now let me break down that word indignation. Right? We can get angry at something. Right? Maybe I'm cooking a meal, I kind of screw up, and I get angry. Right? I've done it, but that's not indignation. Right? I, I could get angry at lots of things, and it's not the same. See, indignation might best be described, I suppose, as righteous anger. Right? It's something, a sin. Right? That's why God is indignant. It's sin. It, it's an affront to him. See, me cooking food and it not working out is not a personal affront to me. It's just what it is. You know? Or if I'm trying to work with tools or put together Ikea furniture, right? Yes, I believe anybody will get angry over trying to put Ikea furniture together. But they're not indignant. It's not a personal affront. See, sin is a personal affront to God. That's why he's indignant. He won't back down from this. That's his holy standard. And, and why, why is he indignant? Why is he angry every day? Some translations say, I prefer that word, by the way, that God is angry every day. 
With who? Right? With who? The wicked. If one does not repent. So if we refuse to repent, guess what happens? God is against us. It says here in this, in this poetic language that the Psalms often use, is God will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. Let me say one day. One day, whenever that day is coming, Jesus is returning on his white horse. And the Bible describes when he opens his mouth, a two-edged sword will come out. So don't take this merely as, well, God, it will be angry. No, let me tell you, when that day, when Jesus returns, whoever is unrepented upon the earth, guess what's going to happen? Yeah, there's going to be a massive bloodshed because God gave us time. God gave you time to repent, and, and it didn't happen. Okay, I, oftentimes you'll hear from unbelievers, especially atheists, that God is somehow angry. Oh, you know, God is abusive. You know, why would God send us to hell? Well, it's not God that sends anybody to hell. It's our own choice. Let me liken, let me use this analogy. And you know I love using analogies, right? Here, here's the analogy. All right, you are in prison right now, which every sinner is, by the way, right? Every sinner is in prison. Right, Paul makes that abundantly clear in Romans chapter 6. So everybody is in prison who is a sinner. Now, somebody comes along while you're in prison, says, no, I'm going to take their place. I'm going to take their place. And the righteous judge says, yes, okay. So the, the warden or the corrections officer comes along. Yes. With a key, opened up the door. Now you have a choice to walk out. So whose fault is it if you don't walk out of that prison? Whose fault is it? That's exactly what many people are living today. It's not God that sends anybody to hell. People walk to hell openly, willingly. They walk into hell. I've heard it said by somebody, I can't remember. But it's not me who came up with it. But that the that the doors to hell open only open one way, inward. Inwardly, and I fully agree with that. I fully agree with that. Why? Because people refuse to repent. They know. They know. Let me let me turn real quick. If you're wondering, like, what do you mean? Well, well, well. I didn't hate God. I was an atheist. I hate that claim. It's not true at all. Let me, let me go to Romans chapter 1 real quick here. I'm going to flip over here. I'm just, I have got no notes today, by the way. This is just under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So, so Romans chapter 1, verse 18, says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Check this part. Who suppress the truth through unrighteousness. So that means the truth of God is in every single human being on the earth. No matter where they live, no matter if they ever heard the gospel, heard the Bible. You know, we have many tribes out there that it's literally, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Illegal, actually, but did you know that? To approach them. They don't want their culture ruined, yet their culture is ruined by sin, right? Some of them are cannibals. They eat other people. 
and, and things like that, but it's ruining them, right? Well, you say, well, how would they know God? That's pretty evil, right? I, I don't, I don't think, you know, having having my friend or neighbor for dinner is is, is a good thing. But it happens. So how would they know about God? Well, the Bible says that they do. But they keep putting it down. They, they suppress it, right? When you suppress, like like in the army, we would we would uh, do what's called suppressing fire. We're not necessarily shooting the enemy or causing enemy damage, but but we're causing them to keep their heads down, whether it's through machine gun fire, whether it's through artillery. We suppress the fire to keep them down from doing anything. But that's exactly what every person upon the earth does day to day. They suppress the knowledge. They keep it down. It's still there. Just like, uh, just like on the battlefield, we know that the enemy is still there. We have to advance upon the enemy still, right? We don't, just because we're suppressing doesn't mean we stop. We, we advance upon the enemy so we know that they're there. Though we're suppressing them. That's just like every single human being on the face of the earth. We say, but they've never heard the gospel. So how would they be guilty? Well, let's see. Again, here in Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what, be, for what may be known about God is clear to them. Oh, wait a minute. It's clear to them. Since God has shown it to them. So God shows everybody that he is real. The invisible things about him, his eternal power and deity, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world and are understood by the things that are made so that they are without excuse. Now, I know there's people out there, I'm not going to say who, who believe that people out there who don't accept God, right, will go to heaven. But I just read to you that they won't go to heaven. Because they know and reject. If they, let me say, put it this way, if they know and reject. I don't want to say that all will. I don't know. My prayer is that they will go to heaven, right? That they'll, that they'll find the truth, yes? And the truth will set them free, as the Bible says, right? It, it's fully possible. It's fully possible, right? It says that here, but not that they will. So every person upon the face of the earth is without excuse. By the way, that's why we need missionary sent. We need we need bold men and women of God who will go into these very places that are that governments have deemed illegal, right? You say, well, well, but, but we're supposed to obey the government. No, not when a government disobeys the word of God. And the word of God commands every single believer to go. Did you know that? That's right. Jesus said it. Go. Go where? Everywhere. To do what? To bring the gospel, make disciples, right? There's nothing in this that that limits a believer to going anywhere. He said, "I mean, okay, we have we have. I love Brother Paul as an example. Bold, boldest man of God upon the face of the earth, right? Where where, where Rome outlawed Christianity, persecuted, right? I mean, I know we often mention Nero, but Nero wasn't the only." Emperor in the time of Paul, there were numerous emperors. All right, let's get let's just throw that out there. And it was illegal, and they were persecuted. So I mean, it was like I said, it was very, it was just illegal just to be a Christian. Well, they didn't renounce their faith. Not only did Paul not renounce his faith, but he went, he went into where places 
we're, we're hostile to Christianity. We know that by Paul says how many times he was whipped and scourged and beaten, stoned. Yet Paul went. Yet, yet we in America are cowardly. I'm going to Germany on a mission trip. No, you're not. And oh, by the way, don't think for one second you can go on a mission trip and you can't and you can't bring the gospel to your neighbors. Those to the left and right of you. Can't even do that. No, no, missions. Like my friend Brad Brandon, who just got home today, or not today, sorry. Thanks, I think he was home by Thanksgiving, praise God. What's he doing out there? My pastor Brad Brandon just came back from a trip in northern Nigeria. Very, very dangerous. I mean, good night. I can't profess all of the dangers. Roadblocks, bandits, more, death all around. But he went. And the first church that they ever planted, by the way, four years ago, I believe it was, thriving. 35 people, members of churches. You say, well, what? That is not a lot. Oh, you don't understand in a nation or in a part of a nation where being Christian will literally get you killed. Church is driving. We here in America, oh my, big government said, yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Well, that is, that is being in disobedience to God. And the wickedness is revealed upon those who do that. The cowardly. Did you know that the Bible mentions the cowardly? Did you know that? Go go read the at to the end of the book of Revelation. Who who is outside the walls? It's figurative language, outside the city walls. Because in the in the ancient Near East, every city was fortified. Right, every city had walls against the enemy. So being outside of the city walls, guess what happened? Your life was was forfeit. Yes, and so the language used in the book of Revelation is that the cowardly outside the walls along with all the others, guess what? Their life is now forfeit, and they do not inherit the kingdom of God. I, I urge you today, Christian, I urge you today, person who, who, who has only fooled themselves that they are a Christian, pastor who thinks he is a Christian, repent of cowardice today. You don't think God is indignant against those who refuse to preach the true gospel message? The compromise is sickening and, quite frankly, heartbreaking. I'm not, I'm not here preaching this because I hate people, because I'm primarily angry at them. I do it from a place of brokenness. You don't understand how many days I pray for the revival to happen. Why? Because we so desperately need it. We are compromised. The, 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 the best way to describe the American church right now, by and large, is a, the compromised church. We compromise the message. We compromise that God is a just judge. We compromise the message that one day, one day, Brother Tozer said, A.W. Tozer, Brother Tozer said, you are either going to meet Jesus as your Lord or your judge. So you refuse to repent. I mean, mean, this is the, here's the way it goes across America for the most part. Pastor gets up there, preaches a nice message that, that motivates you, 
at the end might say, okay, if anybody needs Jesus now, raise your hand. Okay, great. Okay, most of the times, right, bow your heads, close your eyes. Don't let nobody be ashamed, right, which is completely unbiblical, by the way. All right, now say these magic words after me. Hocus pocus. Poof, you're a Christian. No, that's what it, that's what it is. Say these words. And, and, and we magic, and poof, you're a Christian. That's not the way it works at all. It's a heart posture. How many times do you hear confess Jesus as Lord if you want to be saved? Probably never at this point. But we must. The Bible says that. We have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, not that Jesus Christ is Savior, but that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means we make him our Lord. We bow the knee and we confess with our mouth. And believe me, brothers and sisters, you're going to do it now willingly or you're going to do it later unwillingly at the great judgment seat. As the Bible says, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, that doesn't mean everybody's going to get into heaven. I hate that heresy that's being preached today. No, it means that willingly or unwillingly, every single person will bow the knee. How will you approach this Jesus Christ is completely dependent upon your willingness or unwillingness to repent. And no other factor involved. Yet, we, we have what's called today cheap grace. You know, that's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer taught on. And I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but we preach Christ without the cross. We, we preach that there is no cost for Christianity. Just come as you are. Nonsense. And complete rubbish. No, you come and you decide, I'm going to meet Jesus' standard. His standard to approach him, you will either meet it or you don't. Not come as you are. No, you come deciding to obey. Jesus says to repent. Right? In other words, in, in, the, in the Greek, right, the term metanoia, right, have a changed mind about it. You realize you're a filthy, rotten sinner. You're a black, you're totally depraved, and you completely need Jesus to save you, right? Not to save you because he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and rich. Not to save you so he can become your giant vending machine and get whatever you want from him. No, to save you because right now in your current sins, you are completely, eternally separated from God, and nothing you can do about it will change it. Only Jesus can do it. But Jesus says there's a cost. You have to die. You have to die. Romans chapter 6, yet again, makes that alliteration or illustration. Makes that illustration abundantly clear. Die to sin. Been raised to life with Christ. You can't be raised to life unless you first die. You must be willing. Willing, with open eyes, eyes wide open. Say, so you know what? I'm going to make that choice. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to deny myself every single day. That's the cost and more. And any gospel message preached without that is a counterfeit message. God is a righteous judge. He must judge by those holy standards. 
like I said, he made a way. We could not meet those holy standards ever, right? How did how was a made way made by Jesus Christ? Because the Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every swinging person upon this earth, all of us. God says, I know, I know you can't. None of you can meet my holy standards. So instead of me asking you to meet it completely 100%, I'm going to make a way for you through Jesus Christ. Be free from sin. Yes? To be free from sin. Many people don't want to accept it. They don't like it. They love sin. That's why I believe that if they don't do it, they love their sin and they hate God. It says here, verse 12, once again, if one does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. Who? God has prepared, he has prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows flaming shafts. That's exactly the spirit of language. God says, you don't repent? Yeah, I got something for you waiting. Like I said, people walk into hell. They, they know better. I've described the hating God two different ways. You have those who are outright hatred. So I, I call that active hatred. These are them. You see these, these atheists on, on social media railing their fists, trolling people, saying whatever they can against God and Jesus, right? But then you have the passive ones. So how do you, why do you say, well, that's strong language to say that they would hate God? Well, I told you, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So then if we disobey commandments of, of God, then, then, it, then it goes to say that we hate God. So either actively out there railing against them or, or, or passively, right? I guess that would be considered perhaps passive aggressive. By disobeying him. And that happens, we compromise. That's why. I don't don't worry about that everybody sins. Don't worry about that that adultery, brother. Everybody sins. I don't worry about the pornography addiction. Everybody sins. Don't worry about that insert sin there. No, you must you better you better bet you better worry about those sins. God has strong language against those sin, living in sin, controlled by sin still. We cannot be controlled by sin and be of Jesus Christ at the same time. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we repent. At that moment of repentance and, 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 and the lordship of Jesus becoming a real thing in our life, sin no longer controls us. Yes, we are we are going to sin, but it's different from being controlled by it. We often place the word addiction as a kind of nice way of making feel, making feel, making people feel better about sin. It's sin, right? The sin of pornography, not, oh, I'm addicted to pornography. No, the sin of pornography, the sin of alcohol addiction, the sin of drug addiction, the sin of insert something that God specifically in his word talks against. I'm not trying to get legalistic here. I'm not trying to say, well, the sin of, you know, eating too much McDonald's. That's not specifically mentioned in the way we eat that way in the Bible. And oh, let me pause and say not all sin is equal. 
I talked last week on what God has to say about homosexuality. Mentioned sexual immorality. And in the Bible, though, for now, that's actually mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians. Say there are sins that are outside of the body. But speaking of sexual immorality, he said it is the sin inside our body that destroys our body. So don't give me that rubbish that all sins are equal. They are not. Let me, let me, I've heard this analogy used, so I'm stealing it and using it today. So if I go out somewhere, right, there, we'll say there's a buffet there, right? The buffet. There's a buffet there. Right? There's a buffet there. So, I overeat. Right? Well, actually, that's exactly what I did on Thanksgiving. I had three, three plates full. Right? I overate. Okay? But now, but just, just, just go with me. Say I went out and did that. I come back home. I'm feeling really bad. I tell my wife, hey, honey, you know what? I, I overate. I, I was, I was kind of gluttonous today. Okay. My wife isn't going to be incensed at me for that. She might tell me, hey, you know better. You shouldn't have done that. Not, you know, things like that because she's probably worried for my health and worried I might, I might, I might, you know, vomit, stuff like that. But I guarantee if I go out there, right, have sex with another woman, and I come home and I confess that to my wife, I guarantee the reaction is going to be very, very, very different. All right? I'm going to get stuff thrown at me. I'm going to get whacked, and rightly so, and more. So don't tell me all sin is equal. Right? There are sins that, that God has not mentioned specifically all the time. Why? Because all, not all sin is equal. So, so back to my point of sexual morality, for instance, mentioned multiple times. And what I said about pornography, well, how do those two connect? Well, amazingly, Jesus said, you have heard it said, right? You better, well, now, when you read those words, you better pay attention. Like, you better pay very close attention. Because what Jesus is about to do, he's about to take the standard from the low level, and he's about to ratchet that up. He's going to take the standard from a three and raise it to a ten. So I don't want to hear this nonsense about it being easier and better in this new covenant. No, sir, no, ma'am. No, because what Jesus said about this, for instance, you have heard it said, right? If you commit, basically paraphrasing here, if you go and have sex with somebody who's not your spouse, right, it, it's adultery. And then he says, but I say to you, if you even look upon another person with lust in your heart, he says, you have already committed adultery. Oh, so I guess the Bible does specifically confront the problem of pornography. Yeah, it's the same as adultery. It's the same as the sin of sexual morality. But we like to cover it up. Yet, pulpits across America today, in pulpits across America today, there are pastors preaching while looking at filth on their screens. It is. The statistics are out there. I think, I think this, the, the last statistics I read 
was that 50% of every pastor is addicted to, to pornography. How sad a fact is that? And we wonder why the church is so compromised. Guess what? The sheep only follow the shepherd. The sheep only follow the example of a shepherd for good or for bad. So no wonder we are compromised when pulpits across America are compromised. It started there first. We wonder why dead men are in the pews today. Dead men in the pulpits first. This is language I remember, I remember reading uh, from Leonard Ravenhill. Why revival tarries? Mention this specifically. Brothers and sisters, we want revival today. And I don't know about you, but I'm burning it. I burn and hunger for it. I burn and hunger for a deep repentance across the nation. For people to live for God. For, for people to say, no more. I'm not compromising anymore. Because they say, first and foremost, in their, in their own lives. They've allowed God to search their hearts like David cried out. Search my heart, O Lord, he said. Talked about, find out if there's anything, any sin in my heart. Get it out, he basically said. We need that today, friends. You want revival? It's not going to come without a deep, deep, real repentance. They say, why would you say deep, deep, real? Because we preach repentance as such a superficial thing today. Like I said, say the words after the pastor and poof, you're a Christian. That's not repentance. Because if there is no lifestyle change, in other words, you just went to that church service, right? You repeated the magic words, yet you go home and there is zero change in your life. In other words, whatever sins you committed before that day, you, you do the exact same sins, you're not saved. You're still a slave to sin. All right, I'm just going to go. Actually, I got no notes today. It's going under the unction of Brown. I'm going to flip over here to Romans chapter 6. Case, man, brother, you're often judgmental. You're often critical. Uh-uh-uh, I'm biblical today. I try to be biblical every day, but just saying. So flipping over here to Romans chapter 6. So, I believe this is going to describe revival. You want to know the mark of revival? Here it is. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? God forbid, Paul says. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that we who were in, baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That, my friends, is a mark of revival. Right? I believe. Whew, I believe, praise God, that is a mark of revival. Newness of life for, for the people involved in it. A newness of life. No longer living in sin. No longer shoveling this hyper-grace nonsense. I bet you thought I was going to say a cuss word, huh? This is hyper-grace rubbish and garbage that is heresy in the highest order that's preached by by people like joseph prince talks about oh don't worry if if god doesn't judge anymore 
Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God doesn't judge anymore. Once, once, you, once you say that magic word prayer, you're saved. Don't worry about those sins you commit afterwards. <laughs> you, you were covered by, that's it. Boom. That's not the Bible. God, Paul says here, God forbid, God forbid that we continue in sin. That's very strong language, my friends. If you, if you go to the book of John, first John, sorry, talks about that no one who has seen God continually sins. See, that's the difference between saved people who will sin and continually sin, right? I don't, I say, we'll, we'll say, uh, Somebody who loses their temper at the drop of a hat. Right? Every day, any day. You know, those ill-tempered people. Those people who claim, well, I'm made this way. I ain't going to change anytime soon. Well, that's the difference between that and a person who, you know, sometimes they get a bit riled up more than they should. Right? That's a sin too, right? Do not, right? The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Okay? But that person who did that is now convicted. And they do that dirty R word. Repent. They don't like it. They don't love it. They don't excuse it. That's the difference, my friends. Do you bother to excuse sin or do you not? I don't want to hear that rubbish. Well, everybody sins. That's not an excuse for your sin. I believe that when people constantly repeat that, just like the do not judge crowd, all they're doing is making excuses for their sin. And the sad fact is that pastors across America teach on this and preach this way. Don't worry, everybody sins. You better worry. If you're outside of Christ, you got a lot to worry about. The only time you don't have to worry is when you're in Christ. Amen? And now, as Christ said, don't worry what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You can have that blessed joy, peace in you and about you, yes. But if you're a sinner, you, got, you cannot hold to that. You cannot hold to that. You better worry. Because the wrath of God, guess what? It's being stored up for you. If you read a little bit later on, just just past just right past what I read in the book of Romans, you will see that in there. So my friends, I, I repeat, who let me, let me let me let me end this way. What who are when you come before Christ? Is it gonna be your judge? Or is it gonna be your Lord? At that judgment seat of Christ. Right, there are different ones, by the way. There's the judgment seat of Christ where those who's where, where those who have made Jesus their Lord, right? We come, right? He weighs up. Okay, what do, how, how did we live for him? That's just going to be weighed up, by the way. Let me tell you what real quick, too. That comes with a stern warning, pastors, leaders. The Bible warns. Don't, not everybody should be a teacher. Why? Because a higher, greater judgment awaits those. 
Not, not, not in the sense of going to hell necessarily. But you get judged by a higher standard, right? I remember like when I was in the army, things I did, the dumb things I did as a private, all the way to the specialist E4, they, they, they were looked at in a different way. But I remember this day, by the way. I remember the day I got promoted to Sergeant E5. I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was back in, um, oh, Lordy now. She's 2000, I believe. Anyway, it was a long time ago. Some of you might be listening and probably like shaking your head. Oh, I, well, you, you were in the Army longer than I've been alive, yeah. Anyway, I remember this. I remember I got promoted, and this master sergeant got, like, he ripped me a new one. But he didn't do that when I was a specialist. But then he did when I got promoted, and rightly so. You see, there's a, there is a different standard between a layperson and a leader. You know, in, in the military, a non-commissioned officer is now a leader. I got judged by a higher standard. And the higher I went in the military, by the way, the higher the standard was for me. That's the way it should be viewed in the body of Christ. Instead of being prideful, I'm pastor so-and-so. I'm prophet so-and-so. Look at me. Touch not the Lord's anointed. No, no, my friends. Humility. You want to know the mark of a true leader of God? Look at what Je how Jesus walked. Jesus never once puffed himself up. He never walked around saying, I am the Messiah. You shall bow to me today. Right? He never said, I am the Lord your God. Right? Specifically, like that way, out there. No. God in the flesh allowed people to ask him questions. Notice that. I, I just, I, I've seen this analogy before, and it's, it's right. Jesus may have not answered very often, but guess what? He allowed people to ask questions on a number of occasions. Humility, that takes humility. Not saying, he could have said, who are you to dare question me? Why would you ask such a dumb thing? Jesus didn't do that. No matter who it was that came along, by the way, whether it was to his disciples, whether it was the 12 apostles, whether it was the religious leadership of his day, humility might make this marking of a true leader in the body of Christ. Be warned. We need this, friends. Because you're either going to be judged or not. You're, you're, you're going to be in the crowd of, of the weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. Or you're going to come and say, Lord, I've, I've longed for this day. And I want that for everybody. I long for that. See, so many people have that. Like, 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 like Paul wrote, right? He makes this, this thing like he's just, he can't wait to get there. He's torn between, like, yeah, I, 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 I want to fulfill my mission here, but I want to be with Christ at the same time even more. And he was torn. I want every person to live that way. I, I'm going to complete my mission. But man, I long to be with Jesus. Man, I long to meet Jesus in the sky. I want to be in his presence one day. 
I long for that for every single person out there. I don't want to see a single person perish. I don't want that. Don't pass this opportunity up. I'm going to say this too, friends. Look, I understand being hurt by mankind. I understand people can do, in the church, can do the most wicked of things. I get it. I understand it. I understand it. And I'm not trying to downplay it. But that's not going to be an excuse standing before Jesus one day either. While those people who did that to you, yeah, God, God will punish them. But at the same time, you're going to receive your punishment if you refuse. I'm going to say this, friends. If you're sitting on the fence, which, by the way, there's no such thing. If you're sitting there viewing, criticizing men in the church, criticizing me, criticizing that person. Well, fine. Go for it. We're all imperfect anyways. I've done my fair share to invite criticism anyways every person does but but you're looking at the wrong place jesus didn't say look to men he said look to me the bible says explicitly to keep our eyes fixed on the author and finisher of our faith the bible commands us not to set our eyes on things below but on what things above if you're looking to mankind as your litmus test, you're already looking at the wrong place. We're all going to fail you. We're all going to let you down. There, I said it. I don't mind it. Jesus will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will be with you always. He's perfect in every single way. But remember, he's the just judge. When you see this judge thing mentioned, by the way, we're talking Jesus here. So it's it's not it's not good enough to say, well, invite Jesus into your heart and make him your savior. No, we must. No, no, no. Jesus, Lord. The gospel message, in a nutshell, is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus daily. That's the gospel message. Not come as you are. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, come as you are. Mm -mm. Jesus said, this is my standard. Accept it. Bow the knee. Confess and make me your Lord today or nothing at all. And friends, it's all or nothing at all. This is late in the game. I'm telling you, God is judge. And I, and I know for a fact that he has poured out judgment across America. And it started in the house of God first. The Bible says judgment starts in the house of God. And many people have become a Pharaoh. They've hardened their heart. They're so hard of hearts that they refuse to repent. Refusing to repent. You can't do that today. Yes, it's available to every person who accepts. But you got to make that choice, but it costs you. And you can't walk away change. You can't walk away unchanged. Impossible. God never saves a person. Not God never does anything partially. Either a person is saved all the way, or none of the way. Either they're set free from sin, or they're a slave to sin. 
right? Even either either the sin of a drug addiction controls them or it does not. There's no, well, I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to accept him as my as my savior, right? Notice how mention of Lord is never mentioned there. And then you still struggle to break free of the sin of drugs. That doesn't work in any way, shape, or form. I don't, I don't understand why today we, we so often say, we, we make these comparisons between radical salvation and just salvation. Where do I find that in here? Please find me an example. You don't have to do it word for word. It's not there. People are always radically saved in the Bible, but somehow we've, we've lowered the standard and we're paying the price. Because many people won't even speak up against it. You know, in the army, it was said to me, it, it was said to me multiple times, maybe not directly to me, but I heard it said many times. And, and it's, I completely agree with what I'm about to tell you. 1,000% agree with it. Every time you walk by a deficiency and don't stop to correct it, you just made that the new standard. So every time we walk by and say and hear things, or we hear specific, well, let's personalize it. When people say, well, Jesus is my Savior, and no mention of Jesus as Lord, and you say nothing about that, you've just made that the new standard. Every time you hear somebody say, well, yeah, I know I do this sin, but everybody sins and you don't correct it, you've just made that the new standard. Say, well, brother, it's awfully judgmental of you. Once again, it's awfully biblically. You know, you know, we love the scripture, and, and we should, by the way, that all scripture is God-breathed and inspired, right? But we stop there. What's the, what's the rest of that scripture talk about, right? Reproof and correction are mentioned in there as well. Yeah, did you know that? And, of course, teaching. But teaching can't come without correction either. But we, we for, for so long, have made a new standard that, that resembles nothing about God's standard. We're either saved or not. Every, every, every salvation, every, let me say this, every true salvation is either radical or it's not salvation. I told you God never does anything partway. You know, using A.W. Tozer as an example, so let me give you this analogy before we end. Or give you give this example before we end. A.W. Tozer walks home. Here's the gospel message. Walking home from work. Here's it. Gets in him. You know what he does? He goes home. Goes in his attic. And he falls on his knees before God. And makes Jesus his Lord. He repents. After that, his life is completely changed. Before he was a before he was preaching in pulpits, he was preaching on the streets. Think about it, young man. What wasn't saved in the least bit, could care less about salvation. Gets saved and starts preaching on the streets. Wow. If we if we if we if if we use the standard, if we stop using that term radical salvation. And we just use the term salvation, and instead we use it as a test. 
I guarantee, I guarantee America would be changed overnight. I guarantee because it would be filled with fiery men and women of God once again. He said, I didn't want to have to preach this. I know we're supposed to be going through the book of Ephesians. I get it. But it has, this, what I said today has to be said, and I pray that I, that I, that I got it across in such a way that, that just, whew, I'm trying not to, affects me so much. So utterly heartbroken by what I see every day. Heartbroken. Grieved in my spirit. And I, I just pray that, oh, Lord, we come before you today, Lord. We need revival. But, Lord, we, we ask you to do whatever it takes. Earthquakes. Shaking. Exposing. No matter what it takes, Lord. Heck. The deepest recession possible if that's what it takes. The highest inflation ever if that's what it takes. I don't care anymore. Lord, I want revival. Lord, I hunger and thirst for your for, for revival to be brought in America. Lord, we have been so sick for so long. But I praise you, Lord, that even then we are not beyond revival. Oh Lord, bring it. However, however, whatever you need to do, Lord. Your will be done. Not my will, not our will, but your will be done, Lord. And I don't want to put a test. I don't want to put things on what I think it should look like and what you should do. I say whatever it takes, Lord, have your way. We desperately need it. We are in such a desperate hour. And Lord, while I know that all, not all men, in fact, you're, you're, I know that your word says, Lord, that many are called but few are chosen. But nonetheless, Lord, nevertheless, Nevertheless, Lord, revival, repentance. Even that, even though only few, only few, then let those few arise, Lord. Let those few come to you, do whatever it takes, Lord. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you all for watching Don't for, and listening. Don't forget, there will be nothing next week because we'll be in South Africa next week. So I won't record a sermon ahead of time. It just won't have one. So anyway, with that, we're out of here for today. God bless you, everybody.